Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times, and we are hopeful that all of our sound issues are in the rear view. We had a little bit of a rough week with that last week, but we have acquired some new equipment. Two microphones. Two microphones. We're, fi- we're facing each other for the first time instead of I have to look at Aaron's up. ugly mug throughout this it's, entire it's, podcast. That's a very unfortunate situation for you. But, uh, man, it's a beautiful day in the Roanoke Valley. Uh, baseball is on my mind, but we're going to talk about basketball in this podcast. We're also going to, of course, talk football as we do every time we get together. Uh, we have some listener questions. Thanks to those who submitted those. Some are silly, some are serious, uh, and we'll hit on some of those. And then we'll wrap it up. But, Andy, I know you had a big night last night. You covered a doubleheader of girls basketball locally in the area, and uh, both games really went down to the wire. Is that Am I accurate there? No. <laughs> the first game, which was supposed to be the competitive one that I covered, was 28 to nothing after the first quarter. Uh, and the second game was a 24-point final. I think the average margin of victory is about 38 in those two games. And we're, this is the region semifinals. Uh, it just, you get that disparity in this area. So if I go there, I'm like, oh, I'll cover this doubleheader. One game will be more competitive. I'll focus on that one. And both of them were just blowouts. So maybe the game Friday will be competitive between those two. But it was not. You're just sitting there going, man, is this thing, like, do they have a running clock? What is the version of running clock that they have in the second half of these games? Well, you're, you're a true professional because I, I I got a text from you last night saying it was 41-6 at halftime or something. And you were like, this is supposed to be the competitive game. 43-6. to <laughs> And my response yeah. was, where's the gems? But uh, I read your story this morning, and I thought you did a nice job. What you did is you kind of looked ahead to these two titans. Well, uh, you're not going to sit there and dwell on the doubleheader. <laughs> you're not going to give a play-by-play of the night because, we, I mean, that who's going to read that? This you, is boring. You, you could have done the Berman thing and made the losing teams cry by asking really tough questions about why they did. They That's a situation the- where I don't even go and talk to the losing team's coach. I'm like, what? you lost by 50. Like, come on. We don't need to go through this. Like, well, the kids played hard, and like, I, I just didn't need to do that. Right. Well, one team that did not lose by 50 last night was Virginia Tech. 65-58 winners over number 15 Clemson. Berman called it an upset on his blog. That's one of my pet peeves. Hokies were four-and-a-half point favorites. This is not an upset. This is a covering of the spread. Um, But, you know, rankings-wise, of course, it's an upset. Uh, RPI-wise, it's an upset. Uh, The fact that it was at Castle, though, was a big deal. Um, It was a fun night, actually. Uh, guy hit a kid hit a half court shot. I saw that he drained it. Uh, I retweeted everything VT basketball sent out about that because I thought that was so cool. I mean the rubber band banks earning possibilities there. Uh, have you ever seen that live? Anybody hit one of those shots? I have, well, it's been so long since I covered basketball regularly that I haven't seen any of that. I did. I just love the reactions to those right. because once it goes in, the crowd universally goes nuts yeah. because it's just cool to see a kid like that make it, and then. The person who makes it never knows quite what to do, so they just start running like indiscriminately, looking for somebody to like jump up and hug. And usually, the best part is like if the mascot is there, the right. mascot is the first person to come hug the guy. So, yeah, that's a big shot. Like, hasn't Virginia like the last three times it's had college game day, some kid has hit a shot to win whatever you know tuition money or whatever I it think is. It's like fifty grand for for the college game day stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, that might be an interesting story. Just like, is it getting easier? Because obviously, Seth Curry. Or Steph Curry is hitting shots from, you know, the parking lot. Maybe it's getting easier for fans to do that too. Well, I mean, it's not 
like unthinkable for the average person to hit that shot. It's sort of a luck factor. You just have to sort of get in the right vicinity and it could bank in or something like that. But I mean, I could do that a hundred times easier than I could make a thirty-yard field goal or so. Whatever those those things they have at halftime. Yeah. Some, I mean, they, they've changed it now. Just that they do the the Dr Pepper pass, which is everybody does the chest pass, which is like, <laughs> oh come on. Like I guess if I had money on it, that was the better way to do it. I would probably do it that way too. But it just seems like such cheating. To do it's it. not in the spirit of the game. No, no, no it's not, not at all. Well, and there was another promotion that I wasn't even aware of until last night. If an opposing player misses two free throws in succession, everyone gets free bacon, uh, which all you got to do is mention bacon and people are going to go crazy. It's a, You know what? Bacon has – whoever Bacon's PR rep has done a fabulous job over the last 20 years because it was once – this this item that you know everyone looked down upon, but now you know every, you mention it and everyone just goes crazy. I mean, is it that hard to sell bacon? Not really. No. <laughs> I, I remember I was covering this is on this road trip that I went with on the Lynchburg Hillcats, and I was doing like a life on the road behind the scenes thing, and they ended up getting really ticked off at me at the end of this this thing when I was in Lynchburg for some of the stuff I wrote. Uh, but I remember we were in Winston Salem, I think it was Winston Salem or Myrtle Beach, one of the two. And they had this promotion where if, like, a certain guy struck out, everybody would get Arby's roast beef sandwiches or something like that. So when the, the count would get the two strikes on the guy that could strike out, they play this sound over the, the sound system. It just goes, roast beef. <laughs> and the crowd's going nuts. And it happened, like, three or four times on that thing. And the crowd is just going crazy wanting this guy to strike. Could you imagine being the player out there? It's like, oh, man, if I strike out, all these people get sandwiches. If I even put the ball in play. They're gonna be so ticked at me, but I just the like in the background, just the sound system, roast beef. I'm putting myself in the pitcher's position, and and, and uh, my buttholes tighten up pretty, pretty, pretty bad there because I know how important it is to get that K. But yeah, I mean, uh, our our friend Clark Ruland actually took video of the of the second miss, and he he had some bells and whistles on there where he wrote bacon, and it was in. I mean, it was kind of it was well produced. I don't know how he did it, but uh, that's on my Twitter timeline. If you want to see how loud it or hear how loud it was at that moment it was certainly beyond other than the half court shot that was the loudest i think it got at cal they need like inflatable pigs to toss around in the crowd or something like that like like peter frampton's uh, inflatable pig from the simpsons or something something needs to happen with a pig get on that castle guard somebody needs to do that in the castle crowd uh, to commemorate the bacon winning uh, free throws, absolutely. And I don't know if that's every every home game or not. I mean, that was the first I'd seen of it, so we'll see. But it, this is hard hitting news, sports news <laughs> on the podcast here. I think you know, and as I wrote uh, for today's paper, I I think they've shown a lot of growth here this month. It's it's really incredible how much of a different team they look like now than they were. A month ago, uh, even you know, a couple of weeks ago, they they can beat you in different ways. Now, they 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 shot like crap out there last night. I mean, they shot at the thirty three percent. They shot terribly in the first half. Couldn't hit anything, but they still led at halftime because they played very good defense. And I know Clemson is missing two very key players, um, so that helps. But 
they, they they couldn't win a game with defense. They couldn't win, you know, those those Seth Greenberg type ugly uglified games earlier in the season. It was, uh, you know, I was in Louisville the day they lost. I guess it was ninety two eighty six. Yeah, that was a really high scoring game, and it was a similar score at Kentucky. And they were just trying to outgun everybody. And that'll work on some nights, but then in other nights, like last night, when they're not shooting well, that's you know you're going to get blown out like they did against Virginia and Castle Coliseum. So to see them be able to do that, I think is a major step forward. I know you didn't see the game, but um, you know you, you've watched them this year, and I mean you you could probably comment on the defense that was lacking there earlier in the season. Yeah, I, I wonder how much of this is almost tied to sort of kind of what Buzz's attitude was about defense earlier this year i mean I, I read berman's story on devin wilson and he's like oh i didn't like you when you were, you were first here and it's like it's almost like there wasn't appreciation there for what devin wilson brought to the floor which was really tenacious defense i mean he, he can be their best defender i would say uh in in a lot of situations i just think uh he's not a real glamour guy he's not a, a top recruit or something like that i mean he left for the football team one year and nobody batted an eye they're just like okay what well, do you do your football thing and then I, I think they were maybe even kind of surprised that he came back to do basketball again but uh i think maybe people are sort of buying into the kind of effort that he gives on a daily basis and other players are starting to play like that i mean it's nice to just go up and down the floor and score like that and stuff but if you can't play defense you're not gonna last very long uh, in the tournament. I mean, you're going to run into a night, especially when they get into some of these arenas, these just like cavernous arenas where just, you know, they, I mean, they play the final four and you know, domes, football domes. I mean, it's not great environments for shooting. You'll, you'll have a bad night like that, but if you play defense pretty consistently, you can do pretty well in the tournament. Right. So, you know, I, I think you're right. They're becoming a more well-rounded team. Maybe that Virginia game was kind of a turning point for them where that was an ugly game. And if you're going to play an ugly game like that, it's tough to out-ugly Virginia and win that game. But they uglied it up, and they played defense, even though they didn't have a great offensive night, and they won that game. And I wonder if they go forward from that going, hey, we can win in a lot of different ways rather than just going up and down the floor and scoring 90 points. Well, that, that's an excellent point you make about Buzz, because Buzz, for all of his, you know, he, he, he harkens back to his hard scrabble, you know, underdog days of coaching, and um, that's his that's his personality profile. However, he's also a big advanced statistical metrics guy, and he loves he loves the pace stuff, and he loves the offensive efficiency and and defensive rebounding percentages and all those things. And I think. To your point, I think he did fall in love with some of those. They were leading the country in so many of these offensive metrics, um, and he—they well, were playing nobody in the night. That's exactly too. right. Uh, and, and when you get into league play, you gotta you gotta guard somebody at some point. Um, the Virginia game certainly uh, a turning point. That, but you know, the, even before then, the turning point they keep pointing to is that Miami game on February third, where they just you know. That was a sort of felt like a must-win game for Tech, and, and Tech wasn't really close in that game. And they, you know, loud, easy baskets. What Buzz has said, and what he said last night, I said, I asked him. I said, I know we, we've talked about that game a lot, but what was it exactly about that game, you know, that that made you want to do this? And he says he's, he just needed to change something. He had to change something, and he didn't know whether these guys would buy into it or not. And then it is a credit to these players that they have. Uh, you know, the people's roles have changed dramatically. Look at Ahmed Hill's role. You know, he's been the guy who's suffered because uh, Devin's getting so many more minutes now. You know, Hill was uh, one of the key offensive players on this team, but he was in a sort of a shooting slump, and he's not as good of a defender as Devin. 
or Bibbs. So uh, he's sort of seen his minutes dwindle, but he, he played a nice uh, role last night off the bench. Um, you know, he made one shot, but he scored three points. I think he got a couple rebounds. Um, and there, there, there's another thing developing here that's interesting. This team was really depth shy earlier in the season. I mean, they had a seven-man rotation, essentially. And one of those seven men was Devin coming off the bench. Um, now, I mean, they played ten players six, six minutes or more last night. That makes a difference in February and March when you're going to start playing games back-to-back days. And you're going to start playing games, uh, you know, Two, two games in three days, and guys wear out easily. Um, so to see some of these younger guys get involved and, and make plays for them I think is a big deal. They're safely in now, right? No. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. You think if they were to lose the rest of their games, they wouldn't be in? I think With that's – 20 think, wins, and that would guarantee they'd be 9-9 nine and nine I think I think that would be a very, very uncomfortable – day on the couch for those guys and so? i do not think they how many more wins do you think they need i think they need one more and because that would put the, them 10 and 8 in the acc yeah 10 wins in the i ACC. know the, look, the, the committee doesn't look at it like that they don't look at what your conference record is uh, necessarily they look at uh, <laughs> what quadrant wins you have as berman pointed out how many five quadrant or first quadrant wins do they have now five no! <laughs> that was a great <laughs> as a jock it's it's aaron's point job to point out the nerds on campus no i mean i mean they don't really go oh you're the fourth place team in the acc you have x number of acc wins they look at what those wins are because right. there's such a variance within the conference of the kind of schedule you i mean if you play Pitt and wake forest twice and you get up to 10 wins that's not the same as you know, beating Virginia and, and beating North Carolina and beating Clemson, which, you know, Clemson might be good and all, but I still look at it. I'm like, Clemson, come on now. That's not, I don't think they're that good. I know their RPI is really good and stuff. I just don't quite trust them. They're kind of like Auburn in basketball. When I see these teams that pop up out of nowhere, and I'm like, eh, sorry, I just don't trust you as a basketball school right now. So so you don't think they're safely in. I mean, what was the, the Lenardi had them as a 10 seed yeah, that, that's uh, not right safe. I mean, that's not a yeah, safe place to Yeah, that's not safe. I, for some reason, I thought that felt low. I don't know. I, I thought that 8-9 range would be good right now. I think you and I probably are presume, presuming at least one more win here. I mean, as of last week when we talked, we said we thought they'd get – you said three out of these last five. I actually went one more than that. I said four out of five. Um, but if they were to lose these three, uh, like they're, they're 48th in the RPI as of today. We, okay. are, we are taping this on Thursday. That's – you know that's right on the edge of yeah, quadrant one country. Uh, if you, uh, the interesting thing is, you know, Berman explained the whole quadrant thing to me last night. Uh, you know, you, you get know, more credit for road wins, yeah, than like home wins. Quadrant one, although it be, seems a bit extreme. You can be like a top seventy-five team on the road, and it's equal to like a top fifty win at home or something like that. Is that is that the breakdown of those? Yeah, it's well, it's yeah, it's top. I think it's top seventy at home, thirty. Oh no, excuse, excuse me. If you beat a top 30 team at home, it's quadrant one. Top 50 at neutral site, it's quadrant two. Uh, so a good example of that is the Washington, Washington game that they yeah. won in, at Madison Square Garden. Washington is exactly number 50 in the RPI right now. So it's all RPI-based. Um, a top 70 road win is Man, a quadrant this, this one. There's a big variance between 70 and but you know 30 what? I home think and road. I think it really does a, a good – Who's 70th? Who's 70th uh, right 70th now? 70th right now, Georgia. 15 and 12, Georgia. And who's 30th? Uh, you know, so teams like Notre Dame, you know, that's 68th is Notre Dame. That's a that's a quadrant one win for Tech right now because it was on the road. Who do you have as, as a number 30 on there? 30? 
St. Mary's, 25-4. Okay. You pick a, what's a more recognizable Arizona school? Arizona State, top, top Alabama. Top of the top 30. You know, Alabama. Uh, Miami's 31. Okay. Um, I can, maybe that's – I don't know. It just seems like 70 and 30 is a big disparity. That, like, it, well, I'd be curious to see how much of, like, the committee is, like, married to these specific rankings and stuff when they go in there, if there's other stuff they talk about. But I don't know. I feel like Tech is probably – pretty safe to be in i i would never say definite based on the history uh of the school and how they've <laughs> tanked down the stretch and then get left out when everybody thought they were going to be in but uh, the way they're playing right now I, I think it'd be difficult to conceive them losing out in this situation right. at all. I, I think they'll definitely you know i might even up my prediction from that five game stretch to four and one now based on how they're playing but uh and then you of course you have the acc tournament as well and if, if they get in that like four or five range is uh, a seeding, that's not the worst thing. It's not the worst thing to be who plays on day one. It's the five. I forget how far the, the buys go. Don't you play a game as a five seed before you would as a four seed? Yes. Uh, Tech would get a double buy as of today. Now, I don't know if the double buy is necessarily the best thing for well, a team that's like on the board. Like it's nice to get your feet wet at the ACC tournament, and then you kind of have a little momentum going in against that four seed. Like it's maybe not good if you like have plans of winning the whole thing. Uh, but I think if you're like trying to boost that NCAA tournament resume, it's not the worst thing to win that game against a, a bad team or a lower seeded team than have a, a little bit of momentum going into that four seed that hasn't played a game, hasn't played in that arena, is not used to it. I think I think somebody's pointed out that's sort of a, the, the seed of death sometimes right. is the four seed uh, in that setup. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what Tech's looking at now, I think you're right. They feel safely in because we see how they're playing now. I mean, they've lost just one, once in their last five games. But, you know, if Louisville were to come in here on Saturday and knock them off and all of a sudden you're staring at Duke coming in on a Monday night uh, and then, you, you know, you get a matchup in the ACC tournament of a, you know, I don't know, a six, a, you know, you're a six seed or something or a five seed. I mean, it easily could go off the rails. I mean, Louisville's good enough. They've already beaten Tech once in Louisville. Um, obviously, Duke destroyed in Cameron. I think it'll be a much better game here at Castle. But uh, that's why I, you know, the "you're in, baby" column was not written last night. I did not do that, and uh, and I wasn't even considering doing that. They should have just dressed you up like Dick Vitale, and that should have been your whole column. Was like they can't keep you out. You're in, baby. Just over and over and over, one sentence paragraphs over and over. What do you think of Dickie V just defending Rick Patino to the hilt here? It's pretty, it's pretty tough to defend Rick Patino in any situation. I mean, he's he's sort of uh, Vitale. I used to actually like him. My brother always made fun of me because I I was like, you you you. He's like, you like that clown Vitale? I was like, yeah, man. He's he's fun. He's got energy. You know, the kids love him. You know, the the students love him. What's wrong with it? You know, but but now he's just become a caricature. I think. He's been a caricature for 25 years, okay. though. It's not like a, a, this sad, is a, new a thing. sad caricature instead of a fun caricature. I don't. I, I feel like he does not has not aged well in the era of Twitter, yeah. and like everything's a, a clip, and you can you're like, oh, here he is acting a, a clown and this stuff. He's genuinely like the nicest person you have ever met. Like I remember when I was a young reporter covering Virginia basketball for like the first time and I'm sitting there in the media room and I'm, I'm eating the pregame meal and he comes up and he sits down and he's like, oh, Dick Vitale, nice to meet you. And I'm like, what? Like I'm this nothing reporter in Danville that's never covered an ACC game before and Dick Vitale just comes up and introduces myself and it was genuine and kind. It's like you can see that it's not like this 
Like, it's an act, but it's not much of an act. Like, he, he cranks it up when he's on TV, but he's just genuinely like that. So, I don't know. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, he's kind of like John John Gruden. You know, he's never seen a bad thing on the field. Like, he always defends stuff out there. And I, I know that, you know, in a sense that you have to be a little more critical of people sometimes. But it, I don't think it's the worst thing for college basketball to have somebody like him. Well, that, I could segue into our first reader question, which is actually basketball-related. And then we'll get into some of the football questions. But uh, let's see. Uh, let me see. At Fighting underscore gobbler uh, asked the question to Andy here. Please address the rumors that we could be involved in the college basketball FBI fallout. Uh, of course, uh, Patino was a victim of the, the fallout there. Um, I can only tell you what, what Buzz has said on the issue. And I asked him about it when it broke. And I said, look, you know, this, this sullies everyone by association you know well, how do you feel as a player you know as a coach in this environment when everyone's going to look at you and say what well, uh, maybe you're one of those guys too it's kind of like the steroids era in baseball um and he said yeah it was terrible for everybody um you know he he didn't uh, stand on a grandstand or anything and say hey we've never done anything wrong ever but i, I don't you know, I think you said off air if they're cheating, they're they're one of the worst cheaters in the history of college well, I mean, basketball. In this like time frame when this was happening, wasn't this when James Johnson was there? Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you were cheating and you were finishing in last place in the ACC every year, you were cheating terribly. So I, I don't. Now, I honestly don't know. I don't cover basketball first of all, so I don't really have my you know ear to the rail, whatever the the phrase is on on what's going on with the basketball program. Uh, I don't know if anybody really knows exactly who's tied up in this thing. I know there have been these, you know, spooky stories of there's like half half of college basketball is going to be implicated in this thing. It's like, well, if everybody's implicated, then nobody's implicated because really, what are you gonna, what are you going to do? Everybody in college basketball just doesn't play for a year or something. Like it, it doesn't make sense. We'll see how this whole thing turns out. And you know, there's a lot of shady stuff going on in college basketball. Uh, I think everybody's known that for a while. I don't think anybody had this like assumption that, oh, all the top schools are clean. Like I, I just sort of assumed that, yeah, there's some dirt on these schools that you don't see a lot of the time. I have no idea if Virginia Tech would be wrapped up in it. My gut would say no, again, just based on sort of you know the type of recruits they were getting don't seem like the kind of guys that you would be paying money to to get. Uh, uh, you know, that's a strange way to, to make a defense in this whole thing. But, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. I, I, I see all these stories like, oh, half the Sweet 16 this year might have to vacate that. It's like, who cares? It's like, really? This is the big, like, overriding punishment? I think it might be more damaging to individual coaches when this stuff comes out and, like, who knew what was going on and, oh, this was going on in your program. And, uh, you know, Patino being a prime example, obviously he had all this stuff. Other than this going on there, it's like, did you know this was going on? How could you not know this was going on in your program? It's going to fall on the head coach eventually, but I feel like it'll touch a lot of coaches. I don't know if a lot of programs necessarily will be implicated or like punished severely for this whole thing. I'm ready for it to come out. Just come out. You know, yeah, like so much teasing. I mean, there was teasing when the original four assistant coaches were arrested. You know, it was it was well, this is just the beginning. Just you wait. And then we recently had the Pete Thamel article. Would would you did you were kind of referencing there of of everyone should be shaking in their boots if they had a player who was halfway decent in the last few years uh 
okay, <laughs> you know, let's, let's just put it out there and see what it is and and, uh, and get on with things um, and see what they can do, perhaps to, to to try to at least sweep up some of the some of the debris on the ground. But you know, Louisville gets. This is this has a local tie with Luke Hancock, you know, a Hidden Valley graduate who was on that national championship team for Louisville in 2013. That that title has been vacated, and I'm sure they're all just devastated. Yes, there was big drama, like people taking pictures of the banner coming down and stuff. It's like who cares? I I, I was going to ask this to you, like, is vacating wins or vacating championships like uh, a real penalty? Do people care? Do people go, oh, man, who won that? I think it was 2013. Who won that 2013 title? It's like it was Louisville. <laughs> we all saw the game. Yeah. You know. Even the teams that got beat, they're like, yeah, they beat us. <laughs> right. We were there. Uh, they got they, they beat us. You know, and that's we've had this discussion before when we talk about titles and championships and what they mean. And, and I've always argued that if my team got to Game 7 of the World Series and, and lost it, I'd still be thrilled because that was I got the maximum amount of enjoyment, entertainment, with the exception of one win that I didn't get uh, for my team. Uh, you know, you missed a parade. Parades are nice. I mean, it looked like that Philly parade was kind of fun after the Super Bowl. But and we we were in Boston when they uh, had a one of those. Were you on the beat? Yeah, I guess it was 2013, right? Uh, didn't we get on the train when everyone was heading out to the, the parade, the Red I Sox parade? I think so. I vaguely remember yeah, that. But it, it like, went, that by 2013, that was their third one. It's not like people were as stoked. Like right. that first one, like I remember I was in Lynchburg at the time, and Nate Crossman was working in, the, in our section. He's from Boston. And he's like, I'm going up there. I have to. It's like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And he went. I would imagine a decade later and two more World Series titles after that, nobody really cared that much. But. Yeah. But it's about the journey, man. It's about enjoying each of the wins on the way there. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a banner, but who, you're right. Who cares? Every day I look in my mailbox for my OJ prize, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I think Kevin Ware on the Twitter says, like, well, how come I still have this fat-ass ring on my finger? And then he's like, you know what? You can vacate the wins, but you can't vacate the – Ten stories that Mark Berman wrote about Luke Hancock. <laughs> Those are in the Roanoke Times archives forever. The watching can... Luke graphic. Uh, that's a, that's did we have a special section dedicated to Luke Hancock's? I think we did. MVP. I think we did. You can't vacate that. That is there forever. Those commemorative sections don't go away. That's something you can't take away. It, it was like the. The whole thing with, like, North Carolina and the academic things. Like, oh, they're, they're, like, going forever to protect their title. And, like, USC. Like, remember when USC had to vacate its title? Like, I still just called USC the champion from that year. I, 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 Reggie Bush was still the Heisman winner from that year. I don't care that they technically stripped him of the title. I saw the, the thing on TV. I saw him play that year. Uh, it's just... I don't know. The, the other side of it is like, if, if you don't do that, how do you punish some of these schools? Yeah. It's like a, a postseason ban currently for something that happened years ago is punishing the wrong people. Like a financial penalty punishes other sports, essentially, because they're not going to cut back on, on football and basketball. They're going to cut back on other, you know, swimming and track and stuff like that. You know, I guess you punish the individuals, but so often these like individual coaches are are on to other places. I mean, it's rare that like Patino is still around that you can still punish him this many years later. The players, they're off somewhere else. They don't care. They don't care. like like oh yeah, your silly little NCAA amateur rules. Like yeah, okay, see you later. I'm a I'm a professional now. I don't care about this. I think the only times it's really hurtful to fans probably is when when fans have this belief that their 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 program somehow does it the right way. 
way. Like if Frank were had been implicated for some, you know, major right. scandal, and you'd be like, "Wow, everything I thought I knew about Frank was wrong." Like, yeah, I think UNC, you know, they take a lot of pride in their academics there, and then you had the academic scandal uh, with basketball and football. I mean, you know, and then you're walking around, and your your diploma feels a little bit less. Uh, I don't know, prestigious as it did the day before all that stuff came out. Maybe that, that plays into it some. You know, and it Buzz, Buzz talks a lot about, you know, family and, and everything else. So, I mean, I think it would be harmful to, to that whole image if, if something like that would come. But we all know that there's cheating everywhere. I mean, it's, right. just, it's just... Well, Hugh Freeze was the most pious, yeah. family-driven guy ever, and he was dirty as heck when he was the whole mist. I mean, these guys are professional talkers for a reason. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't. I, I, I was gonna say something else, and I just forgot. Yeah, yeah, in terms of vacating wins and stuff like that, I feel like that's more for some like opposing fan bases to hold over, uh, like teams and schools that they don't like. It's like Florida State vacated some wins back and bowed, and now all Virginia Tech fans are like, "We have the longest bowl streak in the country," and it's just like. Asterisk, according to the NCAA's <laughs> official tabulating of bowls. Like, every time I write it, I'm like, Florida State actually has the longest bowl streak despite vacating. Like, those games happen. They still went to those bowl games uh, just because the NCAA puts a little asterisk or, you know, deletes the line on whatever year it was. Like, everybody still talks about those things like they happened. Well, you know, Duke's had a lot of lottery picks come through the program in recent years. I think there would be quite a celebration out of a large segment of the United States if they were to be implicated. That would be like the Derek Jeter getting busted for steroids, which didn't happen, of course, but uh, yet. Because, you know, there's still time. You're just numb to the steroids, you know, bustings because they've happened so often. And then all of a sudden, somebody like that, you're like, okay, now I'm paying attention. Like, if Duke were somehow caught up in this, I mean, I think it would be one of those situations. But good news for everyone who missed the watching Luke uh, graphic. Uh, Luke Hancock and Mark Berman are going to speak again this week. And so we'll have some more from Luke's perspective. He's Can't been take away the memories. Can't, Can't take them away, NCAA. He's been very uh, active. Luke has been very active in the Louisville community uh, just speaking out on this issue. So I'm interested what, to hear what he tells his old buddy Berman here in the coming week. Well, look for that in the Roanoke Times. And on Roanoke.com. All right, let's uh, – we apologize to those of you who hate basketball, but it is basketball season. Let's move into football. And before we get to more reader questions, Andy, uh, you had a blog post. Looks like Tim Settle has been gaining some traction in some of these mock drafts, right? Yeah, you know, I, I say his draft stock is rising. There's not really anything – like draft stock, just something to write about this time of year. Either teams actually like a guy or they don't, but it's not like, oh, there's this momentum in the NFL community. Like, there's all these separate NFL teams, but I do think a lot of scouts or draft analysts or people that do mock drafts are catching up on a lot of his film and seeing how good he was last year. I mean, he declared as a redshirt sophomore, which not a lot of redshirt sophomores, especially at defensive tackle, do. So I don't think there was any expectation throughout the year that, oh, this guy's going to be available in the draft. So maybe people didn't look at his film as closely. I go back to Mel Kuyper Jr., who you know watches film on everybody and, and, and does that. When we, I first asked him on a teleconference about Settle, he's like, you know, I hadn't really seen much film and, you know, diving into the film on him. I like him a lot more than I would have thought initially with him going pro. I think more and more people are coming to that conclusion, seeing this 330-pound guy that moves like he's less than 330 pounds. It sounds like he's still trying to lose some weight uh, even from that. 
uh, highly productive, can do a lot of things. Uh, I think as a redshirt sophomore, it might even be advantageous to him. Like, if he's doing this at age 20 or 21 or however old he is, you know, that's an extra year you get or extra two years you get out of a guy uh, in his career before physically he starts to deteriorate, deteriorate a little bit. So uh, I think all those things combined, uh, a lot of people are a little bit, warmer on, on saddle right now who knows if it stays that way i mean they haven't even gone to the combine uh, you know as much as we, we tout the combine events i, I think talking to these uh, gms and, and coaches and stuff is more important at that thing just because they get a sense of who you are as a person you know your football iq and stuff like that i mean bucky hodges tested off the charts last year and he still got taken in the sixth round and then didn't make a roster coming out of the year so uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll write about how much they jump and run and, and do all this other stuff, but I don't think that matters quite as much. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Settle is, is probably looking a little bit better now than he was when he initially came out. I think a lot of people, myself included, kind of go, yeah, it might have been a little bit early for him to come out. But, uh, you know, if, if there's even chatter of him possibly going in the first round, and who knows if that, that holds up. Um, and that's obviously the right decision to go if that's the, the, the case. But it'll be interesting to watch because uh, I think he was somebody when he came out, people go, oh, is he going to be you know, fifth, sixth round or something like that? But it sounds like he's he's uh, being ranked a lot higher in these defensive tackle rankings. So I've never been on one of these McShay or Kuiper teleconferences. I'm curious, do they ever just shred, shred a guy? I mean, it, it seems like they look for positives when they can, but – uh, and most of these Hokies have been, you know, at least somewhat praised on these teleconferences. Did they ever just go, that guy, I would never draft him in a million years? He I've never heard it quite put like that. They, they sort of give their opinions. It's like, uh, you know, I think Ger- Gerard Evans last year, yeah. when he went pro, they're like, I don't know what he was thinking hmm. like that. I will say the one time I asked McShay on one of these years ago about Logan Thomas, and it was it was when he came back, I think. I can't remember the, the exact context. Or maybe it was right before when he was trying to make a decision or something like that. Because uh, he had been a, a pretty highly uh, touted guy when he was a sophomore. And you know, Mel Kuyper, I think, said, oh, he could be a top five pick or something like that. And then he had the struggles the following year. And I asked McShea about it. And he just went off. And he's like, he doesn't throw it. Like, it comes out of his hand awkward. I don't know what they're like, coaching him there. It's like, that scheme is 15 years out of date. And it became like a big thing. Uh, I remember I had to go ask Stein. He's like, what do you think of... The comments on Todd McShay, he's like, I couldn't pick him out of a crowd of two or something like that. He had some, he had some quip that he had right away. And I think Logan and somebody else were in the room when I asked him that. They're over there, like, chuckling. It's like, well, you know, you know, <laughs> he kind of had a point about the, the offensive scheme and how out of date it was. But, uh, yeah, I think I tried to follow up with McShay. Like, yeah, oh, this has sort of turned into a thing. And I tried to go through ESPN to get a hold of him. He's like, uh, Todd doesn't really want to comment further on this whole thing. I don't think he really wanted to, like, damage this relationship with the school that he has like coming in to look at guys or anything so yeah i think they're careful in that sense but they'll give their their opinion on somebody if they don't think they're ready and the, you know the draft is is full of booms and busts like nobody knows exactly how these guys are going to turn out uh you know you can be so sure of it and these teams do all their homework and they still make a pick like johnny manzel in the first round so you know everybody can profess to be experts in the draft and know where people are going to go but nobody knows nobody knows how they're going to turn out nobody knows how draft day is going to play out it's just kind of all the fun of the offseason and why people are so intrigued by the draft process yeah well certainly we'll be doing more speculating on the draft as that 
as it nears in April, April still, right? Or uh, end of April, April 26th to 28th, I think. When's the spring game? 14th. Really? It's a week earlier than it has been in the past. Okay. That's a Saturday, right? Yes. Oh, crap. I think I'm going to miss that. Oh, oh no. That's not a big deal. Right? Yeah, no. You won't do the, 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 the glorified spring practice with 30 guys sitting on the sideline because they have a... Uh, in, injured finger or something like that. Like as much as we hype up the spring game, like man, it is really dreadful sometimes to go out there and watch it. <laughs> well, we'll we'll be keeping your own stats in the press box as usual, which will be a good time. All right, let's let's move on to some football mailbag questions. Uh, right, we have one from Chris McGee here, and it's similar to one asked by uh, at Halberg H A L L B E R G eight one four seven on Twitter. Uh, but we'll, we'll use Chris's wording here because it's a little a little more concise. Is it realistic to think that if the team trends as it has been since Fuente arrived, that we will return to winning the ACC or even a shot at the Natty in a few years? Or should we expect a much longer path back to the top of the ACC slash nation? Andy, your thoughts? I, I think it could happen within a few years. I don't think it'll happen next year. I think looking at the, the roster makeup that the Hokies have, there were a couple of really good senior classes that just made their way through. Maybe not necessarily hyped from a recruiting sense when they came in, but they were incredibly productive players. And you just look at them, I mean, they have seven guys invited to the Combine this year. I know they weren't all seniors, but you consider that three of those guys left early, it depletes the ranks a little bit more. Those last couple of recruiting classes that Frank had here, have some guys, you know, there's a Ricky Walker in there, Yash Nijman, who they got. Uh, Vinny Mahode has been pretty good, but I, I don't think it has as many of those top flight guys or veteran guys that are just really rock solid players like they've had the last couple of years. I mean, you think back a couple of years when they, uh, years ago when they had Sam Rogers and all those guys. Uh, that was a nice big senior class that turned into very productive players over their careers. I think there's a little bit of a gap in the upper classes right now before you get to those players that Fuente recruited the last couple of years. So I, I think this year might be, I don't, I don't want to say rebuilding year, but I, I don't think they're going to go into the season as the coastal favorite by any means. I think that's Miami still, even though Miami has to come into Blacksburg to play. Uh, but I probably put them at least second or in that conversation with Georgia Tech maybe for second or third. They've had some troubles with Georgia Tech over the years. Uh, I, I just think it's going to take maybe another year or two before those full Fuente recruiting class is going to start to be upperclassmen, and you're going to start to see a little more experience, a little more you know, mature physical bodies out of these guys, and, and that's what you need to compete. I mean, Clemson is recruiting at a ridiculous level. Uh, Florida State's going to get back there pretty dang quick under Taggart, I think. I, I don't think... Uh, you can recruit that kind of talent unless it's just something is completely off in your program. Uh, you're going to get back to the top uh, pretty quick like that. For Virginia Tech to compete with those schools, they're, they're not going to simply out-recruit them. They're going to have to develop some guys and have some older guys that have been uh, you know, work themselves into better players once they get to Virginia Tech. I don't think it'll happen necessarily next year, but two, three years down the line, especially if they can get a quarterback like Quincy Patterson, who everybody's you know over the moon about as a, as a potential guy down the line. Uh, I think you throw them as a special quarterback in the mix with the kind of defense that Virginia Tech's had. I think you can compete with those teams for the ACC title. If you win the ACC title, you're in the, net, the, the playoff conversation. 
beyond that, it's tough. I mean, it's tough to think like, oh, this could this school win a national championship? Because like a handful of teams win the national championship. I mean, that's all it is. It's the same teams in the playoffs every single year, it seems like. And now they've added another layer on that. It's like not only do you have to beat a top four team just to get to the championship round, you have to then beat another top four team to win it all. Uh, it's a lot tougher for a team that doesn't recruit in the top 10 all the time to compete against teams of that caliber and beat teams of that caliber. That's interesting. Like, it, so, it is kind of harder now. I mean, it is. It is. Because yeah. back in Frank's era where he would always talk about it, he'd be like, you have to have everything break your way and you have to have a big zero at the in your loss column pretty much if you're a Virginia Tech. And that was possible. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't probable most years, although we wrote about whether it was possible or not. But you could run the table. I mean, it could happen. You could, especially when they win the Big East. Yeah. Um, and if you if things worked out right and other teams had lost and you you know your your zero looks so glittering that you were one of the final two, that that could happen. But you're right. That extra layer is a big deal. A big deal because we know how hard it is to win against top five teams. Well, you look at first of all, I think the the current system is a lot more forgiving to a school like Alabama. That you know, obviously last year. It's like they get a mulligan. Right. They lose a game, they don't win their title, but they sneak in as the four seed. They're still a really good team that's capable of beating two teams of that caliber, and they did this year. Uh, but in the past, it wouldn't be as forgiving like that. It's like I think they've mentioned like if Bobby Bowden had these this setup, and when he was at Florida State, they finished in the top five, I think, like fourteen straight years. How many nas- how many national championships do you think he won? He won two, and people look at that and go, "Oh, he underachieved in that," but it was a lot harder. At that point, because you had to be in that top two, and then you had to, you know, you know, in the BCS, you had to be in the top two. But then, you know, before that, you had to, you had to be up there in the conversation and win a big game at the end of the year. So that made it a lot tougher, I think, than now, where it's like you can slip up along the year, you can still slip in and be a good team and win it. But look at the teams that don't aren't like you know the blue bloods of college football and how they've done in the college playoff. Michigan State got in that one year. Didn't score a point against Alabama. It was like 38 to nothing or something like that. Washington got in one year. It wasn't a close game. I think it was like 24 to 7 against Alabama or something like that. These schools that don't recruit at the elite level like that have a really tough time when they go up against any of those teams. And to do it twice, to win two layers like that, it's going to be tough to do. It's going to need the stars to align. I think it's possible. I think Oklahoma this year, there's sort of this blue chip ratio that I think SB Nation puts together where if over 50% of your recruits over a four-year span are four or five-star guys, then you have a legitimate shot at winning the national title. And I think every it's, it's held true for every uh, champion that they've had in the playoff area, era. Oklahoma was under that threshold this year. And they very easily could have won it this year. I mean, they, they probably should have won that Georgia game that kind of gave that away at the end. And, you know, Georgia was right there with Alabama. I don't think Oklahoma would have been blown off the field in that game. Uh, but you have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback that can make up for a lot of faults or any, you know, recruiting slacking that you've had at other spots. So if you have that sort of star player and you have a very workmanlike defense or other guys around it, I think it's possible to sort of uh, you know, shatter that system or shatter that ceiling or whatever this blue chip ratio and get it. But I think Virginia Tech fans need to understand it's going to be hard. Like even even with a new coach with a new offense like this, it, it's a tough thing to do. You you really do need the stars to align. Well, the good news is that Quincy Patterson is going to win multiple Heisman. Two Heisman's is what I've at heard. least two. Uh, well, it's still the most ridiculous tweet I've ever seen. To Chris's question about trajectory, I mean, if you actually plotted Fuente's wins 
on a line graph. I mean, it's nine, nine. It's 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 a steady straight line right now. Uh, ten to nine. It wasn't ten. Okay, ten in the first year. So it actually went down. Okay. Well, now if you just count a regular season, it'd be nine and nine. Okay. Yeah, well, no, no, let's count the bowl. I mean, let's count okay. that too. And uh, yeah, so I mean, he, he he set it up really high, and it's. I think you're right. I think it's realistic to to see it either uh, stay steady or even perhaps dip a little bit before it starts going back up uh, into a direction even higher than ten. I, I think that 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 is a thing that will take some time. That's a real special season, by the way. Winning eleven and twelve games, like man. Yeah. I think for a long time, Hokies fans got spoiled with the notion like, oh, this happens every year and it's easy. It's not easy. It doesn't happen every year. Very few teams pull it off. To, 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 win, to win 10 games is an accomplishment. Uh, but you can kind of do it if your schedule's soft and you, you, you play enough games with the bowl game and everything like that. You can go 10-3, and three and that's a, that's a really good year, but it's not like an incredible year. But if you go like 11-2 and two or 12-1, and one, I mean, that's a special season. That's a, that's a once-in-a-generation season for a lot of these schools. I mean, Wisconsin went 13-1 uh, last year. That's the best record they've had in school history. And yeah, that's something that should be celebrated. I don't think anybody in Wisconsin is like, oh, when are they ever going to win a national title? It's like they're Wisconsin. Like they're the, you know, profile-wise, like the fifth best team in the Big Ten, depending on how you want to, you know, uh, judge Nebraska, whether it's its past state or its current state. Uh, I think there are just realistic ceilings on a lot of these programs that, you know, maybe fans don't want to admit what it is, but it is what it is. Well, I remember going back and forth with fans quite a bit during the hokey heyday just just saying you you really need to appreciate this you really need to understand that you'll miss this if it's gone and it's rare uh, getting these 10 win seasons every year because it was always 10 wins again you know and it was like but i understood their point as well which was hey look if we upgrade the offense and we still have a great defense then there is other things to do. That was what that's what everybody wanted back then. Was they wanted a different offense and they wanted different offensive coordinators, um, and they wanted something more imaginative. Well, they've got that now, and we'll see if that can lead to higher win totals. Do you want to read the next question? I'll read the next. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip to the last one on our list here because it's timely with President's Day being this week. Uh, this is Pajoki123, I think it was P. Hannigan was the name that was on that. In honor of President's Day, which four players are on the Virginia Tech football's Mount Rushmore? This is like Mary's two of the things that I love, football and presidents in the same thing. It is. Yeah, I mean, I think two are givens. First of all, I Chuck Nutter. <laughs> Buzz Nutter. Come on, it's Buzz Nutter. Be respectful. Buzz Nutter is better than Chuck Nutter. I did a blog post on this because in the offseason, I'm just searching for any kind of blog post possible a couple of years ago. Uh, and I did it players only because, if you know, Frank's got to be on there if it's everybody – if everybody that's uh, you know been associated with Virginia Tech football, and it's like, well, then you're talking about three spots. And I think two others are givens. I mean, Bruce Smith and Michael Vick have to be on there. Sure, I mean, they're number one overall picks uh, in their respective years. So, so the way I set it up was players only. I don't know if we want to discuss this as players only or with Frank on there as well. But who else would you consider to put on there? Well, I mean. Phillips has broken all these records. I mean, if you're looking at positionally, um, he, 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 I think you have to look at excellence, though. Yeah, like he I broke mean, Andre, records. He Andre broke Davis the, might even be on there before Cam, even though he didn't break records. He was part of that special season. And, yeah, we, I mean, Cam broke those records in part because of longevity. Yeah, I mean, he was behind Isaiah Ford and everything yeah. until Isaiah went pro, and then he had a, a full season to break it. The ones I would look at, I think Corey Moore. Yeah. 
with somebody special. Uh, plus, just to get those eyes on the Mount Rushmore. <laughs> the sculptor, they would be like, it's like, could you ever go to a national monument? It's like, I'm kind of scared. This thing is intimidating me. And they could like automate the mouse so it says, welcome to the Terror Dome, whenever, like every 30 minutes or something like this. So this, would be a, this would be a great thing. Somebody get on this. Tech fan, build a fake Mount Rushmore. Other ones, I'm, Cornell Brown, possibly. I think Tyrod. I think Tyrod Taylor. You have to consider. Good call. Uh, how about Lee Suggs? Maybe that's Suggs a Roanoke bias coming in there. But Lee Suggs is definitely a possibility. But wasn't Kevin Jones a better running back? And he was there at the exact same time. Yeah, he was shiftier and faster. This was Suggs full, just did nothing but score touchdowns. This was the full list of players that I put on here. I went to the way back as well. Carol Dale. This includes retired jerseys and stuff. Frank Loria, Jim Pine. Who I mean, is anybody going to recognize Jim Pine? I mean, he's an offensive lineman. I don't think anybody would recognize him. Cornell Brown, Corey Moore, Jake Grove, Kevin Jones, Tyrod Taylor, D'Angelo Hall, Jimmy Williams, Brandon Flowers. And I put those last two on there because they were all Americans when they were here. What about Engelberger? Wasn't he? Uh, he was. He was not a first team All American. Okay, I guess it was more his story. Yeah, of uh, yeah he was, walk on to. Stud that that made him so special. Yeah, I, if you just want to don't want to go by like the greatest players, like Sam Rogers would be like a great representation of like like Sam Rogers, like and then a little bit lower you have him holding the lunch pail or something like that. I mean, honestly, if you're going to do this, you probably put Bruce, Michael Vick, Frank, and Bud Foster. Yeah, I mean, if you're thinking just pure impact on what they had in the program, I can't think of four people better than that. But if you're going to go only players. I think Bruce and Vic are a given, and the other two are. I'd probably go Corey Moore and then like Tyrod or something like that. I mean, Tyrod, really good career. Like just the fact that that Vic was a more influential quarterback in the program and everything. I think that's the only reason why you wouldn't have Tyrod up there. But and just imagine Tyrod split reps with Sean Glennon. I mean, when they, that well, one year freshman was he a freshman that year? True freshman. Okay. Yeah, they burned the shirt on Tyrod that year. Was that the year they okay? That was the year they lost to JMU, right? Or was that the year they lost to LSU? Uh, no, that was the year they lost to LSU. Okay. Yeah, they all run together these days. All right, yeah, I agree with your picks. I think those are good picks. I, I also would put Khalil Pimpleton in the discussion. <laughs> Khalil Pimpleton, <laughs> just, just throw him in there. You can have the Khalil Pimpleton <laughs> gift shop where they just have that Fifty Cent song on a, a loop constantly in the background. I like the Mount Rushmore idea. It's a it's a sports radio. Trope, but I like. Oh, yeah, that was the. I think Andy Staples put it. I was like, "Hey, has anybody thought about this on President's Day? Maybe one of your your uh, Mount Rushmore of sports." And like, it was obvious sarcasm in the tweet. And then like later, I was like, "I'm getting too many people legitimately sending me their Mount Rushmore of sports." It's like, did you not sense the sarcasm in the original tweet? All right, uh, I'll do the next one. Pick a question. All right. This is for from Jared Rogers on Twitter at Mista M A M I S T A H J E R B E A R Mr. Mister Jared Mister Donut debate: custard filled, custard cream filled versus vanilla cream. I'm, I'm butchering this question. Sorry. Let me start over. Custard filled, custard cream filled, or vanilla? <laughs> Would you like me to read this one? Yes. <laughs> Custard cream filled. This is custard cream filled versus vanilla cream, glazed versus sprinkle or Krispy Kreme or Dunkin' Donuts. He needs answers. Are you a donut man? I'm not. 
My he spells donut D O U G H N U T. That's the proper. That's what Mister Jabbear does. I I'm gonna say D O N U T on that. that yeah, I'm gonna it's go just that way. for you know economy reasons. Go with the shorter version. I am personally I don't really like the filling. I like a, a sprinkle donut. Agreed. It's a pretty good. Not Krispy Kreme, Krispy Kreme or Dunkin' Donut. I'd, I'd say Krispy Kreme. Those things are so good. You know, I, 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 every now and then those will be at like some function or something like that, and I'll, I'll just like house like four of them. <laughs> it's just, it's embarrassing. Who was it? Was it Ford that had the hot sign quote? That was Phillips. Phillips. Cam Phillips. The hot sign, and I didn't get it because I've never really been Krispy Kreme with the hot sign on. Yeah, that could be above our Mount Rushmore. Like every now and then that'll light up the hot sign. I would go. I would go with Dunkin' Donuts, but it's probably not for the reason that you want to know about, Jay. But it's just they have those breakfast sandwiches that are better for uh, that I. We're talking donuts here, man, not breakfast sandwiches. Come on. All right. I'm not sure why I picked that question since I had no input at all and I couldn't read it. All right. Should we ask a a football-related question? Yes. This is uh, Sam Jesse 5 asking this. Does Farley, Hazelton, Savoy, Kuma, Patterson, and company have the potential to be Fuente's best receiving group he's ever had? Uh, Well, here, of course – I mean, he hasn't been here that long. I mean, I guess he had the, those receivers that first year. I, it, that's what you're going to compare them to. Uh, I think there's potential to be pretty good. If you're saying, are they going to be better than the three best receivers, <laughs> the, the best receiving trio in Virginia Tech history, that might be a stretch. I know Fuente didn't recruit those guys. So I guess that's why I'm not really considering them his guys. I mean, Ford or Phillips, Ford, and Hodges, I think, are first, second, and fourth or fifth on the all-time receiving yards list, that's pretty tough to top. I don't care what kind of talent you, you have coming in. I mean, that might be a, a deeper group if those guys actually do pan out and are pretty good over the years. But uh, right now, I would certainly not take the bet that they have a better production over their careers or thought of better than that trio that Fuente had in his first year. Was there some talk that Farley was going to go back to defense? There is uh, some chatter out there. It sounds like some of the coaches have said this at recruiting nights. Okay. Uh, they say these they like these recruiting night things. Like this isn't gonna make its way onto the message boards. Like, like this is like this closed circuit thing. When they talk, it's like you realize people in attendance are message board members, and they will go and put this thing on the message board and say, "I heard this directly from him at this recruiting night." And then I even asked Fuente about Farley at on signing day. It's like we haven't even had those discussions. We just got off the road. It's like, I, come on, I think you've had those discussions at least. Uh, so it sounds like he might go back uh, to the defensive side. I think long term, they might need some more help at cornerback than they do at receiver right now. It's just it's tough to like in your mind uh, envision this guy that was so good in the spring game last year and they had such high hope for last year on offense. Like, well, that's over. Let's put him back on defense and see how he does there. What was his injury again? A knee injury. They they weren't specific with it. I think it, this kind of ties into the another question that was on here about uh, Damon Hazelton, uh, the Ball State transfer. Can he be a number one receiver? I, I think he could potentially be really good this year. We only saw him – well, you only see like one little bit of practice every year, and it's like that first or second practice where they're not even in pads. They're still going through the, the very early motions of, of August camp. And I just remember seeing him out there and going, man, that guy looks like he is a legit receiver. And I didn't know who it was because we all get the new numbers and stuff. I look at that, I'm like, oh, that's Hazleton. <laughs> we asked uh, Holman Wiggins about it during the season. He's like – yeah, I kind of wish he was available this year. They feel like he could be uh, contributing. So, I, I, you know, I kind of have high hopes or high expectations for him uh, to step in and be a pretty good receiver. 
this year. I think Kuma has a, a lot of potential, certainly, with how he finished last year. Uh, Sean Savoy, everybody kind of saw the playmaking ability that he had, although he was up and down. He's kind of all over the place. And, and obviously, bigger things than football that he was dealing with last year uh, is only a true freshman. So the, that's something. It's, it's tough to expect consistency from week to week from such a young player who also has that sort of heavy burden hanging over his head. Uh, you know, Patterson, I, I think, showed out a little bit in the bowl game. You know, we'll see how he turns out. I'm not going to just go off one game and be like, well, he had that really good game. We'll see how he does. Uh, you know, Hezekiah Grimsley is somebody that wasn't even mentioned in there. I think he has the potential to be pretty good. It's a, it's, it could be a very deep group if these guys pan out, but how often does every recruit that you have pan out? <laughs> I mean, it's probably, it's probably safe to just go with a 50, 50% bust rate with recruits. I mean, that's, that's just generally how it happens. Uh, and certainly when you have this many receivers, I think opportunity becomes a, a hurdle in some of those cases. I think it can become a good group, but it's it's probably way too soon to even start comparing them at all to that Hodges-Phillips-Ford trio. Agreed. Well, you know, and it circles back to our spring game discussion earlier. I mean, there was no bigger story in the 2017 spring game than Caleb Farley. You know, and now he's moving back to defense, perhaps. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you can't predict injuries. And certainly, you know, it looked like he was going to play a role as, as a receiver had he stayed healthy. But it just kind of shows you that the spring games don't mean very much. We probably got time for one more question. That's here. it. We should, probably, we should probably wrap it up. Which, which one do you want to do? Uh, let's do, okay, instead of doing a silly one, let's do uh, this one from Be Who Fed. On Twitter at be who fed be hoofed. <laughs> That's how I would pronounce that. Reading is really good today. Okay, Aaron Reed, words good. Is it more difficult to win a national championship in college football or basketball? In which sport would a team that is not an elite level program have a better chance? I think it's obviously basketball. I actually went back and counted the number of champions in both these sports since 2000 expecting basketball to have more and both football and basketball have 11 different uh champions i i guess depending on if you want to count louisville's championship from a couple years ago which i'm going to so it's the same number which was kind of surprising to me but <coughs> look at some of the teams that have made the championship game in basketball i mean you've had butler making it twice you had gonzaga making it last year the question was which one's more difficult though so you're saying football's more difficult it's more difficult in uh yes okay. more difficult okay. in football than, than basketball. Because I was getting ready to disagree with you, but then, uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just you just look at the the history of teams that are in the Final Four and that make it to that championship game. I mean, Villanova won it a couple years ago. And it, it, what school is kind of of the the uh, you know the, the progress? Blanking on the word here. What, what has the profile of a Villanova in college football? I mean, is it Boise State? Is it somebody like that? Yeah, I just, maybe a TCU I, or something. Yeah, I just could never see like an outsider like that getting. And, and I know Villanova was in the Big East. It's a little bit different. Uh, the Power Five conferences, Power Six, and basketball. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think there's. And plus, it's more of a meritocracy in basketball. It's like if you get in and you just win six games in a row, they can't stop you from winning it. Whereas in football, you can be UCF and go, you know. 12 and 0, 13 and 0, and I'm not saying UCF deserved to be in the playoff last year, but they, the committee didn't even really think about them. I mean, they were 12th late in the year. I think they eventually got in the top 10 in that final, 
uh, rankings that they had. But if you're an outsider in football, they just don't really take you seriously. In basketball, they maybe don't take you that seriously, but at least they let you in. And once you're in, if you win, then you can prove everybody wrong. And also depth. You know, you, you get one transcendent player, maybe you got a shot. Uh, oh, exactly. Yeah. Let's let's yeah. let's pull off the scab of this old debate. If if Seth Greenberg had recruited Steph Curry, oh, uh, what could have been? And put it with the rest of the team that they had there. Uh, who knows what uh, Tech might have been able to do with that? Uh, maybe they make some noise in a tournament and and uh, and go really deep. And when you, once you do that, who knows who you're going to face late in the. Late in the tournament, I mean, what what was it? Who did Butler play that one year in the title game? It was like well, they played Duke one year and UConn another. They okay, back to back years. Blue Bloods. Okay, I thought one year that they played somebody that wasn't you know it was more like like them. But I can't. Uh, I guess I'm blanking on that. And the other side of it is like with the whole one and done thing. It's like the reason some of those you know mid major schools succeed and can beat some of these old these uh, you know blue blood programs is because they have guys for four years. Is because they have these senior-laden classes that know how to play basketball together, whereas you know, Duke might have this exceptional talent, but it's been there for four months. Like, how much are they going to come together and know how to play team basketball uh, in a setting like that? And obviously that works still, otherwise you wouldn't see all these one-and-done teams win championships, but I think it does even the playing field a little bit to give some of these smaller schools a chance if they have a system set up and everybody's been playing in it for a long time. Well, look at Virginia. I mean, ten years ago... Nobody would have said Virginia would put itself in position to win a national title. They're they're in position to to challenge for one this year. Right. Well, it was like Wisconsin a couple of years ago. Yeah. I mean, they had that system set up for so many years. They had seniors. Frank Kaminsky and uh, you know Sam Decker wasn't a senior, but he was a, a really veteran guy. I mean, every now and then things line up like that, and I think it's it's a lot easier to do that in, in basketball, with, especially with a smaller roster like that than football, where. It's just years of ridiculous recruiting and 25-man classes. It, like, it's tough to make up that, that difference in football. Okay. We like to leave on a prediction, so let's, let's do this. Uh, Duke-Virginia Tech, Monday night. Uh, I'm going to guess the line's going to be something in the neighborhood of 4.5 or 5 in favor of the Devils. Might was, what, 10.5 last week in Durham? Yeah, it might even be less than that. It might be like 3. Depending on whether Bagley plays or not, um, who wins that game, and uh, and what what do you think? Uh, what kind of the tenor? Because we don't know the tenor anymore. I mean, Duke's right. one of those high scoring teams too, um, but that game in Durham wasn't all that high scoring. Um, I think Duke's been playing really well lately, yeah. even without Bagley. Uh, I'd probably take him in that one, although I, it's not. I, I don't think Virginia Tech can't win that game. I think of all the games left on the schedule, that's the one that I think is the toughest to win, and that's not saying too much. It's the toughest team that they play. Uh, but I think you know maybe earlier this year I would I would have picked the Virginia Tech in this situation, but I think Duke is kind of coming together at the right time right now. So I'll take the Blue Devils in that one. I'm taking I'm taking the Hokies. No, I did it last. Such week a homer. Well, Such a homer. And I, and I said that the Miami game was going to be the one they were going to lose, but Aaron McHokey. I don't know about that anymore. I don't know about that. The, yeah, writer for the Choky Times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, how many emails have I seen that said that? Quite a few. <laughs> Choky writer. Quite a few. Um, yeah, I, I, I like taking that game. I think the atmosphere is going to be amazing. And uh, maybe some more bacon will be given away as well. Free bacon. <laughs> Somebody come up with that. Come up with that sound bite and throw some inflatable pigs around. Inflatable come on, pigs have to happen. All right, well, we'll get together again when we have more to talk about. 
Uh, be sure to cover all of, uh, to follow all of our coverage on Roanoke.com. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarlane. Thanks for joining us.